0: Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host,
1: Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Good to have you along. Love hearing your comments and uh, appreciate the things you say about this show. And every once in a while I get asked, what is blazing grace about? Um, And so what what that's about is it's about grace and truth. Blazing is a way of saying we want all of God's truth and we want all of God's grace. And grace is an amazing, wonderful, life-changing gift through all everything God gave us at the cross and so much more. And we have the Holy Spirit and our sins are forgiven. And then sometimes God's truth can be razor sharp and to the point of pain and conviction. But that pain and conviction, the good thing is that when God brings out his truth, he does so to restore, to heal, and there's always a purpose behind it. So truth without grace— creates arrogant Pharisees grace without truth can create lukewarm marshmallows so we need both we need to be equipped to be fighters and we need the grace and the love of God so I just came out with a new book uh, a month ago it's called the way of the rogue Christian living a life that counts for eternity and just for being a listener on this show if you want a free copy uh, go ahead and email us. The contact information is at the end of this broadcast. So again, free copy, no strings attached, n- not asking you for money. Um, just send an email, email at org. <clears throat> so my, uh, my wife went to church with a friend of hers last weekend to watch her friend's baptism. And, and it's one of the bigger churches in town. And when she came back, she said "It's it was the typical American church with a really loud rock band, and she just said to me, wow, I just wish there would be reverence, a sense of reverence in the church. And as I've been thinking, you know, I've shared a little bit in the past how we've been looking for a church here in Arizona for a while, and I started reflecting on what is, what is missing, what are we seeing, what is it? the holes that we're missing. This is not to judge or condemn. It's just what we see. And So I'll start with what my wife said. A sense of reverence is missing. And reverence and awe are supposed to be a part of worship, it's supposed to be at every, part of everything in the church as soon as we walk in the door. So I'm just going to read you a couple of verses to give you a feel from God's perspective, what worship looks like. And the book of Psalms is basically a hymn book and towards the end there it talks a lot about make a joyful noise to the Lord with even lists instruments I think it's in Psalm 149 or 150 and so of course music is a great gift from God I love it but if you go through scripture from start to finish you will see a lot more of what I'm about to read you right now the worship what it looks like and I'm going to call it rogue, rogue worship, was another, which is another way of saying biblical worship. So I'll start in Acts 4, 30 to 31. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is the entire nation um, well, I shouldn't say the entire nation, but this is an exodus when Moses and Eris came to the leaders and others of Israel are going to be there. And so they bow their head and they worship the Lord. And then Second Chronicles 7, 2 to 4. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple... They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So in this context, the nation of Israel did come together to dedicate the temple. And as you see there, they're all bowing down, faces on the ground, thanking God. So thanks is a part of worship, but also Physical positions and gestures are a part of it. We just read from Exodus 4. They bow their head and worship. Here they're hitting the ground face first and they're face planning. Matthew two eleven, and going into the house, this is at the time of Jesus' birth, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So, these are the wise men or the men from the east. Again, they falling down, hitting the ground and worshiping God, and then Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Reverence, awe, fear the Lord. The question we have to ask ourselves is when we walk into a church. Do we have that spirit of reverence and awe where we're face-planting, where we're hitting the ground, where we're giving them thanks? And then Revelation 7, verse 11. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God. So from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see pictures of, In corporate settings, and church settings, people individually, we see people dropping to their knees, dropping to their face to worship God. And there's another component of worship that I want to bring up from 1 Chronicles 16, verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Holiness is meant to be a part of worship. We're not talking about pretty garments here. We're talking about holiness in the heart. And I think this is where it gets dicey, dicey in our modern American churches where once you start requiring and demanding holiness from your people, in a church where two thirds of the men are viewing porn, and there's so much chaos right now, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people struggling with lukewarm and apathy and a lot of other different things there's a lot of people struggling with fear and different other types of sins. Can we really say we're worshiping Sunday morning in that spirit of holiness every once in a while you know we'll we'll be at a church and they'll have communion, and usually they'll say something like along the lines of, you need to prepare your heart for communion now. But I think we need to start preparing our hearts for worship because holiness is a requirement from it, as I just read. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So these things I see are missing from our worship. You cannot tell me that a rock concert has reverence and awe in it where you're getting overwhelmed with the sound and it's stimulating your flesh and your nervous system. Worship, as it's shown in Scripture, is hitting our knees, thanking God, taking a look at ourselves, a spirit of holiness, and which means we have to talk about the issues that are keeping us from holiness, sin and, and other things. So another thing I see that is missing, every once in a while I'll see somebody say, uh, Jesus is coming soon, and he is coming we don't know when, but he is coming. But there's a part of that piece that is a key piece, actually, that is missing from Jesus is coming soon. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, and this is talking about the end times and the tribulation, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. So there will be believers on earth at the time of the tribulation. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, look, here he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then, he says it twice, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So I bring this up because Jesus is coming, but before he comes, there's going to be a lot of suffering, and we have to prepare. It is our role, our mission, should be a part of our mission in the church is to prepare and challenge and equip our people. Are you ready to suffer? When you reconsidered all joy when you encountered various trials in James 1, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, are you able to do that? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be considered compared to the glory that should be revealed in us. So, And I I have not heard this in the last more than year we've been going to churches. I have not heard this. I've heard Jesus is coming plenty of times, but I've never heard, are you ready to suffer? Do you understand that there's going to be a high cost in these days? And every once in a while I heard somebody say, "I, I When are we going to get back to normal? Well, this is normal right now. Our new normal is evil has taken a significant amount of ground and things are going to be getting worse. So we need to equip you to be a spiritual warrior and a fighter and you have to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord. You cannot carry the sins you did before. So we have to equip and challenge our people and prepare them for the days we're in right now. They have to have a deeper prayer life. And in the churches we visited, with one exception, I didn't hear hardly anything at all, I don't believe, about having to do with pornography or sexual issues, even though, as you've heard me say on this show, that two-thirds of Christian men are viewing porn, and that, that's at the low end, sometimes at the high end, that can be in the 70s. This is a worldwide problem. This is not an an America-only problem. In the UK, those numbers are up in the 70s. Women are turning into porn. They're the fastest-growing segment. And then one recent survey showed that 50% of self-identified Christians have seen premarital sex as perfectly okay, which means we've failed big time to communicate biblical truth when it comes to sexual issues, and this is, this is a big hole in the church. And one woman wrote me, and she said, um, I sent an email to our pastor asking if he would be preaching on Biblical Sunday, and he has never responded. Just like you have mentioned, she's talking to me. Before, my pastor is one of those preachers who takes us through a chapter-by-chapter chapter of a book in the Bible, His messages are good, but he rarely confronts the culture, and if he does say something, he looks embarrassed that he did. The preaching in the churches where my family members attend are not a whole lot different from mine. I feel there would be very few pastors or priests across Canada who will give a sermon on biblical sexuality. And this has been an epidemic in the church for several decades now, and since the late 90s, when Promise Keepers did their surveys and they were seeing the numbers where half of Christian men were viewing porn. So if you're a pastor and you know that two-thirds of the men in your church, let's say those numbers are too high, but a half are viewing pornography, would you not be like freaking out saying, oh my gosh, we got (laughs) to open this up? But I didn't see that hardly at all. I mean, not hardly. I didn't see it at all except for one church and the guy... Mentioned it in passing. Um, If you're doing porn, don't do it. And then he marched on to something else. That's not going to help anyone. So another big hole, and to me, this is one that really grieves me a lot, is youth. What is happening to our youth today? One Recent survey, Barna just came out with it on millennials. Said that only 28% of our millennials believe the Bible is the Word of God. And this is a Barna survey of Christian millennials. Three out of four believe all religious faiths are of equal value. Four percent of millennials hold to a biblical worldview regarding God, life, and morality. And when I read that, I just want to throw up because. We are either losing or have lost our youth, and then um, they're being youth is being attacked big time right now. And did you know that suicide is the second now the second leading cause of death for ages ten to twenty four? Number one is accidents or unintentional unintentional injuries, but suicide is a big signal that Satan was attacking them with doubt, fear, lies, whatever it was, and they went to such a place of despair that they believed there there's no hope for me and this is the best that I can hope for is to end my life now. This is a tragedy in every church. And then I talked about porn, 77% of boys from grades 8 to 12 surveyed admitted to watching porn on their mobile phones, laptops, tablets, websites, CDs. 8 to 12. We're not talking about teens. 8 to 12, 62% of teens and young adults have received a sexually explicit image and 41% have sent one, usually from or to their boyfriend, girlfriend, or friend. Sexting is a big deal in our churches, in our youth groups. Part of the issue is that our youth pastors are leading them, have their own struggles with it, where in one survey 64% of youth pastors confess to struggling with porn, either currently or in the past. And as a father of four kids, these numbers I keep seeing that somewhere between 70 to 80% of our youth are walking away from the church by their early 20s. This one makes me just want to grieve, cry, whatever you want to say, scream. I did not see this mentioned in any church, any time. Arizona, Colorado, wherever I've been. Why is nobody saying something about the fact that we're losing the next generation or have lost it already? This just boggles my mind. Why aren't pastors saying something like, Hey, parents, you need to understand your parents, your kids are under a significant spiritual battle for their soul right now. And you cannot afford to back off on this. You've got to open this door up. Why, why are we not opening this wide up? to me youth and the sexual sin that's so prevalent in the church are two big time issues those two alone should be causing a sense of urgency they should be causing a sense of urgency in our pulpits but i just don't see that and that and that leads me to the next point a sense of urgency where you walk into church and Everybody's kind of cruising in with their, you know, some of them with Starbucks cups or their grande latte, sugar, whatever. And I know quite a few of the churches we visited, they're playing what could be described as laid back coffee house, Christian music at best. So forget reverence and awe. How can we have a sense of urgency when when the stage, stage we're setting, there is no reverence and awe. There is no fear of God this stuff should, I mean, I'm a father of four. I mean, the idea of me losing one of my kids and having them walk away from the church makes me want to, it just fires me up to no end. And this should fire us up to no end, but we don't do fired up in our quaint, comfortable evangelical churches now, do we? Because we don't want to kind of blow anyone's, comfort zone here or upset them which is the point we should be upset we should be incredibly upset we should be fired up we should be saying hey the status quo of ignoring these issues has gone far enough we're tired of getting our butts kicked i have one friend who knows a couple where the 19 year old son committed suicide not long ago and satan is not playing games he is out to destroy every life and another thing i noticed from the churches we've been visiting is um a lot of them you don't you see a lot of more gray hair than you do young hair and you know i kept seeing these numbers about high numbers 70 70 to 80% leaving the church and and then i was starting to realize ooh this is not good cuz you lose your youth you've lost the next generation, you've lost your country. And when you read millennials, those are age 26 to 41. Those are the people right now who are coming into positions to run the country, run the governments. And when they're saying that a quarter of them believe the Bible is the word of God and three out of four believe all religious faiths are equal value, this this should be a lot of um, self-reflection, a lot of holding up mirrors, a lot of saying, where have we gone wrong? There should be a lot of talking openly and urgently from the pulpit saying, hey, this is not a good situation. we gotta, we got to do something here. So what does do something mean? I mean, anybody, any fool can get up there and say there's a problem. And I think it has to begin with what we talked about, realizing we're, becoming, we're coming before a holy God when we're coming into church. This is not um, coffee house time. This is, hit your knees time and cry out to the Lord for mercy. And the um, the big thing that I saw missing from a lot of tr- all of them, is prayer. Nobody's getting on their knees and spending significant time in prayer. But you can't justify that in Scripture. If you read that, you know, Jesus affirmed, my house should be a house of prayer for all generations— he didn't say a house of teaching. He didn't say a house of the worship band. He said a house of prayer. Acts 14. they founded the church on seven straight days of prayer. We don't do that, or at least it's not, not in, most churches don't, I should say. There, there are some that do, but I, I haven't found one yet. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I'm sure a lot of you know him. He's been called the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he pastored in England and he had the probably at the time the biggest church in England and some even say maybe the biggest church in the world. But he put a huge emphasis on prayer and they had prayer meetings going all week long and some were attended by hundreds. So he writes, if a church is to be what it ought to be for the purpose of God, we must train it in the holy art of prayer. Churches without prayer meetings are grievously common. It shocks me. This was written in the 1800s. Even if there were only one such church, it would be one to weep over. In many churches, the prayer meeting is only the skeleton of a gathering. A few people show up, the form is kept up, but the people do not come. There is no interest, no power, no connection in the meeting. Oh, my peep brothers. Let it not be so with you. Do train the people to continually meet together for prayer. And I'm adding all during the week. Prayer meetings seven days a week. Rouse them incessant supplication. There is a holy art in it. Study to show yourselves approved by the prayerfulness of your people. If you pray yourself, you will want them to pray with you. Instead of putting united prayer last, put it first. Everything will hinge upon the power of prayer in the church. Believe me, if our church does not pray, it is dead. And we have no power because we have no prayer. So my challenge is put your people on their knees worshiping God. Put your people on their knees in prayer. Let's look at what the Bible says that we teach and preach every Sunday. Let's do what it says. Let's open the eyes to the fact that we're losing our youth or have lost our youth and sexual sin is prevalent and we're not equipping people with spiritual warfare and to be fighters. So, my friends, I hope, I hope you'll take this to heart. We all have a part to play. And Next week, I have Greg Reed coming back. I'll we'll be talking about youth and some other issues, including spiritual warfare. So, again, if you want a free copy of The Way of the Rogue, Send us an email after this show and we'll send you one. Thanks for joining us.
0: Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org, email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.